impressive. Romano, Manoa, Simber. The Toronto Blue Jays take three or four. Once again, the final from the Rogers Center. Jays won. Red Sox nothing as they take the finale of that four-game series. Jays now 7-0 after a loss this season. In fact, they haven't lost back-to-back -back games since September 24th of last season. That's 28 games. Full post-game coming your way. Jamie and Joe will join us. Ben Nicholson-Smith in studio. Now, as always, we are a little bit different here on Tim and Friends. For good and for bad. Your questions and comments always considered. Hit Jesse Rubinoff up at Tim and Friends on Twitter and Instagram. We've got you till 8 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet 730 on Sportsnet 360. Faisal Kamisa from Jurassic Park ahead of Game 6. Raptors Sixers, Donovan Bennett from the NFL Draft. Sam Cosentino, Nick Kiprios ahead of a busy night on Frozen Pond. Second last night of the season. But kids, let's get you caught up to date in case you're just coming home or missed some of that finale of the four-game series at the Dome. Jays, Red Sox, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. sitting this one out. Not in the starting lineup after following a ball off of his foot on Wednesday. X-rays negative. They didn't really need him. Alec Manoa. The Jays have won each of his last 11 starts. And he was looking good early. Vasquez, the slider, then Story swinging through. Bottom of the third. Two on, two out. Alejandro Kirk comes through. 39 straight plate appearances without a strikeout for Kirk. Longest streak in Major League Baseball, and it's 1-0 Jays on the ribeye. Top five, Bobby Dahlbeck chasing Travis Shaw. Manoa, seven Ks through five and a little hop in his step. In the dugout, Vladdy feeling good about things. Vladdy's always feeling good about things. <laughs> Top six, Christian Vasquez drives one deep. Right field, Raymel Tapia tracking at the wall, makes the grab. And his pitcher, Alec Manoa, appreciates the effort that sees his cleat stuck in the fence when he lands. Manoa allows just three hits over seven shutout frames. Simber and Romano close it out. Here's Arden Swelling with the man of the hour, Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa, seven scoreless, seven punch outs, one walk that I'm not sure you deserved. How did it all feel today? Uh, feeling good, just trying to go out there, compete as hard as I can and give the team a good chance to win. It looked like fastballs up in the zone were so important for you on the afternoon. Yeah, just uh, being able to attack with that and kind of play everything else off of that was kind of pretty big for me. You and Alejandro Kirk have had such chemistry through your four outings. What has allowed you to make that happen? Uh, he just has great energy every time we work together, and um, he wants it almost as much as more than I do, you know? So just being able to work with him every time, uh, it's been a blessing. You've made 25 starts for the Blue Jays. They've won 20 of them. What does that mean for you? I told you you weren't that fast. <laughs> what does it mean for you that the Blue Jays win so reliably when you're on the mound? Um, I don't know. Uh, just just going out there and playing hard every day, and uh, those guys tend to do the same thing. And just being able to give them a chance, uh, been blessed to be able to just get a lot of wins. Alec, thanks so much. Thank you. Vladdy and Bo don't swing and miss often, but they swung and missed on the Gatorade on Alec Manoa. Ben Nicholson-Smith joins me in studio. I don't know who to be more impressed with right now, 
Romano in the ninth or Alec Manoa for the entire seven innings that he pitched? Yeah, both were great. Both have been great all season. I, I have to go with Manoa. I just think that anytime you're talking about a guy who has been this dominant, this consistently, and he's still not even one year into his professional career, into his career as a major league pitcher, it's actually remarkable. But he's just gotten to the point that he is so reliable out there, six, seven innings almost every time. So I'd go with him. 2.91 ERA, my latest calculations as I did the quick math before we came to air. 44 earned runs over 136 and two-thirds of an inning. That is a 2.91 ERA in 24 career starts. And as you heard Arden Zwelling say, uh, you're at the letters podcast mate. 20 in four in his starts as a major league pitcher are the Toronto Blue Jays. That is best case scenario. You just yeah. can't expect that from anyone, let alone someone who's less than a year in. Uh, with more, let's bring in the, the boys at the Dome. Jamie Campbell, Joe Siddle, join us now. Uh, pick your poison here, boys. That was an impressive pitching performance start to finish from the Toronto Blue Jays. You want to start or do you want me to? Well, you're the analyst. Well, why, why don't I trot out a couple of quick statistics? Sure. The fact that Manoa now um, has allowed the Blue Jays to win 12 consecutive starts that he has made, which is Roy Halladay territory. The team record in that respect is 14 by Doc back in 2003. We debated at the beginning of the season just who exactly is the best starting pitcher on this team. You can make a case for three guys, right, Joe? The guy we just saw perform might be the front runner in that respect. As we've continued to see the Blue Jays rebuild and reboot to get to the position that they are in now, I've been feeling all along, and I think the Toronto Blue Jays have been feeling all along, it begins with starting pitching. They have a big three now at the front of the rotation, and the answer Alec Manoa needed to give to Arden there, how are the Blue Jays so successful and so many wins in his starts? It's because he gives them a chance to win every time he toes the slide. We hear Charlie talk about that all the time. The starting pitcher gives you a chance. It keeps you in the ballgame. He just doesn't get flustered. We saw a couple of examples today where the Red Sox had a chance to crack him. He walked Trevor Story. Wasn't a walk. It was a missed call, but he showed his emotion, but then he dug deep and got the next couple of hitters. He just doesn't give an inch, and I think what we're seeing more and more from him the reactions of hitters and I continue to talk and never mind the radar gun I don't need to see any numbers I can watch hitters and that does not look like a comfortable at bat, especially if you're batting right handed against Manoa. You know it's interesting uh, I heard Dan Shulman at the end of this uh, Jamie say that this was uh, now seven and two in one run games for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, that speaks volumes about what the bullpen's been able to do but also how the starters have really settled in here. The bullpen has been exceptional. We've seen some bumps, right? Yep. We saw uh, a bump the other night. In fact, when Jimmy Garcia gave up four runs in his outing, but then ultimately the game was saved by heroics, notably George Springer and Jordan Romano. But you're going to see that over the course of an entire season today. A different story altogether. Well, yeah, and I think the reason you're going to see hiccups every once in a while, as good as the bullpen is, if you're playing close games all the time, you're using your high leverage guys and you can only go to to Meza and Simba Richards in those key situations to get you to the big boys Meza and Garcia and Romano late. So when you're playing that many close games and we saw it yesterday, Trent Thornton had to come into a tie game and it's because he had been pitching well mm -hmm. and you're pitching in so many of these games sooner or later. Guys are going to have to advance to that next step and for Thornton he was pitching in a big time leverage spot in a tie game. 
So that will happen. I think he'll get those hiccups. You certainly hope for a guy like Garcia, he bounces right back. He certainly looks like he is, came as advertised, had a bit of a hiccup. But when you got a guy like this closing ball games, you just want to get him the ball. And in a one nothing ball game, Blue Jays got him the ball and it counted again today. It's fascinating what baseball's come to in that respect and that on Monday, the rosters will be reduced to 26 and yet teams are going to be allowed to carry 14 pitchers through that month. And it's almost as if now the relief pitcher has become more valuable than starting pitching because we don't see what you just saw from Manoa most days on most teams seven innings of shutout ball. Oftentimes it's a five inning outing by the starter and then you need three four and sometimes five guys to get through the rest of the game. But it's days like this and days like we've seen from Barrios and Gosman and Manoa and even Stripling going a solid five. But big guys like that going deep it's going to help the bullpen. That's the difference I think between this year and last year. Last year the bullpen started out very well if you remember in the mm -hmm. month of April but it's because they were bailing out the rotation on many of occasions but now you look at what they're doing and you find that this could probably be sustainable because of what you've got in the rotation with their consistency. Charlie Montoyo definitely was happy when they announced that they would be able to keep that extra pitcher <laughs> for that uh, extra month there but Joe you know I want to ask you as a former catcher what you're seeing on the other side of it from Alejandro Kirk because you know from from afar it certainly looks like he has stepped up his game defensively in the last little while much improved Ben and the reason I say much improved I compare sometimes a catcher to an umpire did you notice Alejandro Kirk a whole lot today I didn't and when I did it was because he received the ball pretty well and not always getting the call because ultimately it's in the umpire's hands but he's quiet back there he just presents the target you can see the cohesion they have between the two of them when your pitcher is in sync and this is you know remember they're not using pitch com Alec Manoa likes to go the old fashioned way but they're just on the same page he's got a nice rhythm going and when you can be in unison like that that helps the guy out on the mound so good for Kirk he's come a long ways we said on Blue Jay Central today I think we'd all like to see Kirk back there even more but there's they seem to be controlling his workload because we haven't seen him go more than back to back days behind the dish. And if you want to see a really fine example of pitch framing just back up your uh, PVR to the last pitch of the game <laughs> with Romano on the mound against Jackie Bradley Jr. And you'll see Kirk make that little tiny low end scoop up to the bottom of the strike zone and it took Larry Vanover the home plate umpire about 15 minutes to call it a strike because that's his style. Uh, and it led to dramatics at the end of the game. But that's notable because of the improvement of him as a pitch framer. It is. And you think of losing your number one catcher in Danny Jansen early in the season. It's been kind of a, a rotation here. And as I said, he hasn't gone more than two days in a row starting behind the dish. So Collins has had to step in and he's filled in nicely and looks like he's got something going with Gosman now. So that's working very well. Heidemann caught yesterday because as Charlie has said, you can't leave guys to sit and rot on the bench. He came in for defense earlier in the week for Collins, mm -hmm. but then he gets a start. Why? Because then Kirk's getting the start today because it's his guy Manoa going. Mm -hmm. You talk about the pitch framing and what he does behind the plate. I think he really works well. And we talk about catcher matchups with their pitchers. It's worked well, especially with Barrios and Manoa because they're at the bottom of the zone. That bat's going to get going. He is too good of a hitter just based on the approach we see in his discipline. He'll get going. He's a little out of sync now. Had the big hit today, of course, the game winner. But once he gets that bat going too, and that could be also 
part of not playing a ton. And four infield singles this year. Who, who, need, <laughs> hey, who, yeah. who needs launch angle? <laughs> Just follow Alejandro yeah. Kirk's example. There's a lot of things I didn't have on the bingo card this year. Zach Collins ending up your DH and cleanup batter. Tapia being your cleanup batter. And Alejandro Kirk, four infield singles <laughs> yeah. uh, so far this season. But I'll ask you, Ben, because that's the lone ribeye. That's the, the only run in this game. Is there reason to be concerned about the bats, maybe even with runners in scoring position, or is this the injuries? I think it's across baseball. You know, you look around baseball, the offense is just so low. If you have a 650 OPS, you're an average hitter right now. I, I think we need to see more offense in baseball, and I think we will see it, but, you know, at this point, there's just not a lot to go around in Major League Baseball. So the Jays will come around. I think guys like Bo Bichette have a lot more in them. Bichette can hit a Major League fastball. He just hasn't been doing it so far this year. So I think we're going to see collectively big strides from this group. Just hasn't happened so far. Joe, do you have any reason for concern with the bats? I don't have any concerns, Tim. And I think a lot of it has to do with giving hitters time. And we've, you've probably often heard that, that 100 at-bat plateau. Once hitters get 100 at-bats under their belt, they should have their feet on the ground and ready to rock and roll. They're just all slowly getting to that point. And it takes really the month of April to do that. You can talk about bad weather. The Blue Jays played into bad weather at times, of course. We've seen that in New York and Boston, but they've also played plenty of home games with the roof closed. So I don't like to use that as, as an excuse, although a lot of hitters, in fairness, they have had some tough ones. The pitching's been pretty good, and I think even with that abbreviated spring training, the pitchers are always, they arrive at spring training ahead of hitters, they start spring training games ahead of the hitters, and then they start the regular season ahead of hitters, and it takes those few weeks, and like I said, I'll give them 100 at-bats, and then we'll start evaluating offenses. I heard a lot of people suggesting that maybe Bichette be moved down in the order, to which I disagree, but it's not my job to disagree. What do you think of that as an idea? It's hard when you watch a hitter struggle because when you're watching a hitter struggle, he's at his worst, and that's not going to be Bo Bichette for six months. And I talked to Bo about this earlier in the week, and he kind of gave me that little chuckle saying, I've only got about 600 at-bats left. And he's got a good point. <laughs> I think you have to trust the process and you have to trust the player. He doesn't have the huge track record yet, but I think he's got enough of a track record to prove to me He's going to hit, so I think you can leave him alone. And to anybody that doesn't think he can catch up to a major league fastball right now, <laughs> note that he hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball into center field today to uh, open up his, his day at the plate. Well, I think, too, that's one thing. His approach is like that. He lets the ball travel. He allows those fastballs to get kind of deep. But if he adjusts his approach, sure, he can do what he did today. But it's also that approach that has made him so good in the past because he's not a guy that gets out there and fooled. The timing's not quite right. The rhythm's not quite right. It will get right. I trust in Bo because I've seen too much of him not to. Some of the stats that we read off in the media, um, I'll call them super stats or meaningless numbers because sometimes they don't mean anything. But when I see 7-0 Ben after a loss this year, that tells me that's what good teams do. Am I reading too far into that or do you agree with that? I think the Jays do so many things well now that they haven't necessarily done in even recent years. And I'm talking about defense base running we saw right there with Simber and Jordan Romano to close it out they're just doing these little things that add up and in the course of a game in the course of a season it allows them to do things and to win games that they just would have left by the wayside last year Jamie you've been around for a while around this team for a while does that seem like the hallmark of the good ones the ones that have that little you know wasn't really that good last night but they come <laughs> back and, and do what they did today I think that good teams win games that in many cases they probably shouldn't have and it seems the Blue Jays have done that three or four times perhaps 
this early portion of the season. Um, remember how the Red Sox came back on them in game one. Bichette hits the grand slam. There was that opening day special with the Texas Rangers when Texas jumped out to that huge first inning lead against Jose Barrios and they stormed back to win that one. Those count at the end of the year, obviously. And look at the situation today. They end up with a single run on six hits and they don't have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the lineup. And on most days, that's a loss. But they happen to have a guy who is one of the best pitchers in the game right now on the mound and that's helpful. That's my answer. I think that's how you rebound from losses is you Charlie's got a really good starting pitcher going the next day on right. most occasions. And when I talk about those big three again, and that's no disrespect to Ross Stripling, the work he did, and even Kikuchi, who had the one good one, and I think we'll see better from him. But I call them the big three because when they're going to the mound, the Blue Jays have a very good chance of winning. And then you add, like, the heroics. We've talked about Springer's heroics and then Bo's Grand Slam. Uh, is that clutch, or are these just really good players mm -hmm. that know how to perform and know how to have a great approach, as we discussed with Springer's home run the other night? in big moments and I think it's the combination. This is a very good lineup. It's out of sorts right now because there are some injuries and it, it doesn't look like it. We thought it would when they left spring training but it's a long season and you're going to have a lot of bumps in the road but ultimately it kind of smooths out and by the end of September I think this talent's going to be in a really good spot. Let's not forget they're in a very tough division. That's the only thing working against against them is a very tough division. They at least and they're winning games. Let's not forget this. They're winning games right now without Teoscar Hernandez. They're winning games without Hyunjin Ryu uh, without Danny Jansen. They're like any other team in the major leagues that deals with injuries as they go and still Everybody seems to be making some kind of a contribution from the top of the order on down to the bottom of the order and that's certainly a hallmark of a good club. Uh, we'll put Joe under the momentum is your next day's starter uh, and lock it up. Uh, listen, I know you gentlemen are in the midst of 20 and 20 just like the Jays are so we appreciate your time. Thank you and bid you adieu. All right, guys. Thank you. There is uh, Jamie Campbell, Joe Siddle. You can see him on Blue Jay Central starting at 6.30 Eastern time tomorrow as the no rest for the weary here. I mentioned that 20 and 20. You go right from the Red Sox to the Astros and the Yankees. At least they missed Justin Verlander, who was great again today. <laughs> yes. So that's a good thing. So they faced the Astros, but no Verlander. But yeah, it does not get easier. Yankees coming in. We forget, too, the Yankees started today in first place. So yeah. as good Six as the Jays, yeah, I mean, they are flying right now. So yeah. the Jays still have a ton of work ahead. Uh, we'll get you those highlights in a flash, but with their thoughts on tonight's game, let's go right back to the Dome. Guys in the boot, Dan Shulman, Pat Tabler. Gentlemen, take it away. Tim, the Blue Jays take three out of four for the Red Sox here at Rogers Center. And if you're looking for a common thread through these four games, it's got to be the starting pitching. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And starting pitching can take you a long, long way. And we saw that in that four-game series against the Boston Red Sox. It started with Jose Barrios with his seven innings. He gave up just two earned runs against the Boston Red Sox. Had the fastball and that slider working. Next up for the Jays, that was on Tuesday. Kevin Gosman was dealing again. No earned runs in his six innings he had that split working along with his fastball he had the Red Sox batters talking to themselves you want to continue that great starting pitching Ross Stripling was outstanding also in game number three five innings just one earned run seven strikeouts he really wanted to take it to his nemesis the Red Sox and Alec Manoa exclamation point on the four game series seven brilliant innings no runs seven strikeouts Blue Jays win the series and they can lean on their starting pitching because of it. Four outstanding starts by those guys. People thought coming into the season it had a chance to be a real strength for the Blue Jays, Tim, and so far it looks like it has been.
Without a doubt. Uh, thank you very much, gentlemen. Last 10 games, just over two, the starters ERA for the Toronto Blue Jays. Listen, I'm not jumping onto the hype train here. I am just going to suggest something that I did on BetRivers.com where I threw, I sprinkled a little bit down at the start of the season and then after two starts on Alec Manoa for AL Cy Young Award. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Jesse's laughing over oh, there. Oh, baby. I mean, it's, it's looking good. It's I'm not saying that he would be the favorite. No, but, he's not the favorite, but obviously. But he, he would have improved his odds. Oh, his odds have already dropped significantly. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, he's yeah. been great. And I think if you're the Jays, what you have right now is a guy who is that rare 200-inning starter. You just don't see a lot of those in baseball. And obviously, Roy Halladay, Mark Burley, the Jays have had a ton of them. But, you know, it's so hard to develop a 200-inning starter. And I think that's what they have here in Manoa. It's unbelievable. I mean, you look at the numbers, as I mentioned, in his 24 career starts, the ERA is now 291, and the Jays have won 12 in a row when he starts. That's what you want. Uh, that is quickly moving up the charts when it comes to the best all-time for the Toronto Blue Jays. You heard the chuckle, what is becoming a legendary chuckle here on Tim and Friends. I don't Jesse know about that. That is, that is just... Is, is manning the computer and That's crazy. at Tim and Friends. Uh, I know you're chuckling over the possibilities of what may transpire with Alec Manoa, but what's going on with uh, the people writing into the show? Well, 20 game mark, it's a pretty good time to ask uh, Blue Jays Nation, can we call them that, uh, how they're feeling. So we got some good responses coming in. the Red Sox in. in town? I don't know. I guess, if you yeah, but Blue Jays long Nation. time to maybe uh, yeah. pick that nickname. Canada. But how about that? Sure. 13 and 7 after 20 games. So we asked. After 20 games into the season, how are you feeling? Adam writes in and says, a healthy Springer has made a big difference. It's a, a big difference from a year ago when Springer took a little while to get ramped up. Uh, Hope says it's crazy. Manoa was phenomenal. Lights out. Kirk and Romano, one nothing. Whoa, this is not sustainable, though. And you're going to notice over the course of these tweets that uh, that is a prevailing theme. What, that this is not sustainable? This is not No, sustainable. but you have to win one nothing games, Ben. And I think it's better to have unsustainable wins in the bank than point to run differential and say, oh, man, we're going to be so much better in July. They have right. the wins. They're, they're done. You've it doesn't put, have to be sustainable. And as we know from last year, nothing is too early. Yeah, right? win like now. One win would have <laughs> changed where they were last year, so get all those wins in the bank. I completely agree. And just to back up on the Springer, uh, 94 games with Springer in the starting lineup. They are 59 and 36. He's uh, spent 87 games not in the starting lineup, and they are three games over 500 at 45 and 42. It's crazy. So it's unbelievable. So that tweet the was that very much correct that, that he makes in this lineup. Um, so uh, Toronto uh, Gooner writes in and says, uh, "Pretty, pretty, pretty good." Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Was, uh, was that? That was my Larry David impression. That was your Larry Good. David. Yeah. Is that, that yeah, wasn't good, into it a little was it good enough for it? Yeah, okay. Maybe next time. Uh, Steven says, hate resorting to cliche, but man, pitching, pitching, pitching. Still think the power is coming. This is good. Uh, T says, best is yet to come. Uh, Sanich says, decent start given the schedule. Mild concern with the offense, Bo in particular, and Kikuchi is an adventure every start. Need Teo back and Ryu at some decent level. Let's get Ben in on that one. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some good points there. I think they do need Teo back. Um, you know, I, I think any of these concerns pretty much can be valid. Um, I think that you can look at this team and say there are some issues with it. They are, but they're not playing perfect baseball. No. Like, they're 13-7, and seven, but they've, they've made some mistakes along the way. So, to me, it comes back to getting these guys back um, in some sort of reasonable time frame, especially Teoscar Hernandez. And then beyond that, 
it's it's building on this, getting the offense going, getting Bo Bichette going, but they're in a good spot because other teams have had adversity, but they're not winning games at this pace. I want to get to that big picture in a flash, but is there any update on Teo? When were they expecting him back? I know we're starting to see a little in the cage. Yeah, he's been in the cage, uh, swinging pretty hard, not quite 100% effort, and the plan now is for him to face some high-velocity pitching uh, against a machine, depending on that, how that goes. You know, we could be talking about a return sometime in the next few days, but it also could take longer. So nothing guaranteed there, but he's moving around well. I mean, we've seen him on the broadcast running the bases, and he's moving well, so it's just getting that swing to full effort. Listen, I'm going to pull back for the long view on all this, and it doesn't mean that we're done. We're going to keep going with our uh, post-Blue Jays game show here on Tim and Friends. Ben's going to stick around, but... When you, when you zip back, and sometimes you got to do this in the marathon that is 162, the Jays have had injuries. They haven't played their best. They have a really tough schedule to start the season that we looked at and said, if they get out of this 16 and 14, that's probably a good number. To be 13 and 7, given what they've gone through, that's a really good sign. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. They're in a great spot. I, I think that they should be really pleased with what they've been able to do so far. Um, and there is more to come. I mean, you get you know, Teoscar back, you get some of these prospects coming up too. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but you know, Gabriel Moreno, a really good prospect, or Elvis Martinez, these guys are in the system. Nate Pearson, so there's room to add to this team. And at the deadline too, I mean, not to get way ahead, but they, <laughs> they will be adding at the deadline. So right. this team, and, and their goal is to win it all, um, but to, to do that, you have to start strong, and they're, they're definitely doing that. Jays remain unbeaten in a series this season. They are now 5-0-1, six straight unbeaten to start a season. Tied for second most in club history, just one shy of the all-time mark, and they'll get that started with the Astros immediately tomorrow uh, at the Rogers Center. We'll have more post-game reaction from the Dome as the Jays shut out. The Red Sox won nothing, plus highlights from around the majors, including the Yankees looking to sweep the lowly O's. We'll continue your Jays post-game show next right here on Tim and Friends. Please don't go anywhere. It's our livelihood. Manoa on the mound. His starts are becoming events. Swing and a miss to get him. Blow him away. So established, so consistent, and so good every time he goes out there. The two-strike pitch. He got him. How about a changeup? The big fella is done for the day, and what a performance he had this afternoon. Ninth inning, one-run lead. Jordan Romano on the mound. The pitch. He got him at the knees, and the ball game is over. Jays take three out of four as they win a one-to-nothing ball game here this afternoon. The Romano reaction to that pitch being called a strike was pretty. <laughs> Jays win it one nothing in the final. Ben Nicholson Smith alongside on this post-game edition of Tim and Friends. All right, let's hear from today's starter after seven dominant innings. Here's Alec Manoa. Just going out there and competing. You know, I, I knew going into today we, we had a series to win. So just being able to go out there and set the, set the pace and um, give those guys a chance to just hit the ball as much as they can. And um, that's really all I can do is just do my job. Manoa does what Manoa has been doing. I believe he's won his eight last starts or something. So, I mean, he's been great. So I feel so good when he's on the mound that, that I wasn't going to get anybody. He, that was his game. There was nobody warming up. Simber there at the end a little bit, but that was his game to, to, 
to you know go to go seven innings and he did great. All right, let's get you caught up to date on the rest of the American League East Orioles and Yankees and this one was kind of interesting for a while bottom of the fifth Yankees down 2 one threatening two on heart of the lineup and guess what heart of the lineup comes through Aaron Judge Anthony Rizzo Giancarlo Stanton all come through with RBI singles four runs four hits in the inning for two New York bottom of the eighth now seven two you know Judge 99 problems and a pitch ain't one as he takes this one deep and it is Pitcher perfect. Judge two for five. Season high, season high for ribeyes. Yankees win it 10-5. Their sixth straight win as they sweep the Orioles and the Guardians. Mariners and Rays from Tampa. Bottom of the third. Rays down one nothing. Man on third. Brett Phillips singles. Runner comes in to score. Tie the game at one apiece. Then in the top of the sixth. Julio Rodriguez can't check himself before he wrecks himself. This is called a strike by the home plate umpire first base umpire says he didn't go some confusion Shane Livensparger says Scotty service I called the strike I didn't ask for the assistance I called the strike later in the at bat Livensparger punches out Rodriguez borderline pitch and Scott service gives him the old don't read lips put the mask on you should if you're the if you're the manager always put the mask on when you're about to go out and argue so no one can read lips bottom of the third man uh, bottom of the seventh man on third check this out Phillips comebacker off Chris Flexen base hit brings in the go ahead run just like that off the ass and good 2 one Rays end up winning so because of all that the Yankees remain on top of the division after beating up on the Orioles all week Jays half game back early going at 13 and 7 the Rays are two back while the Red Sox now five and a half out Orioles thanks for coming out <laughs> once again honestly 6 and 13 looks good for the Baltimore Orioles after 10 after 19 that's great yeah. yeah that's a successful <laughs> month uh, so looking at the American League East it looks as though the Yankees I mean listen there were some holes in the rotation to start. Garrett Cole hasn't been good, but others have stepped up. Like, it looks like Cortez is real deal. Like, it looks like they've kind of rounded into form here early. Yeah, Tyone's been pretty good. Michael yeah. King's been great in relief. So, yeah, they're, they're in a good spot when it comes to their pitching. And, you know, you just look at that win streak. That's, it really sets up an interesting series next week here in Toronto. And not that you look at the standings in May. I think it's still too early, but... It'll be hard not to look there's at There's no more too early. When you miss the playoffs by one game, True. there's no more too early. you got to get the wins when you can get them, whenever they are. Yeah, so it, it actually will be a big series. It, it will be fun to see the Yankees here in person, and they will have their full team here, it sounds like, so it will be best against best and sets up an interesting week. Interesting to see controversy around the Tampa Bay Rays because uh, once upon a time there was some controversy between the Jays and the Rays centering around a little pitch chart that was left on the ground by Alejandro Kirk. It was picked up by Kevin Kiermeyer. Well, apparently something similar happened today with the pitch calm, the system in which you can call pitches and the pitcher can hear these pitches. Here's Charlie Montoyo on what happened with, uh, I believe it's, they're both Puerto Rican, right? Cora yeah. and Montoyo, both Puerto Rican. His fellow Puerto Rican manager, Alex Cora, uh, handled this a little different than Kevin Kiermeyer did. Have a listen. Bottom of the eighth. So uh, Kirk dropped the pitch gum close to their dugout, and 
Alex Gordon was classy enough, which is that's pretty classy to come and bring it to me. They could have kept it easily and, and hear every pitch that was Romano was going to throw. So I think that was pretty awesome that he did that. And I want to mention that because, you know, because that's pretty cool. Wow. Wow. A little different than his comments for Kevin Cash in <laughs> September of last year. And that was his form. Like, I mean, he spent decades with the – there is a respect between players, between – is it different because it's this early in the year – and when that happened, that was really crucial baseball at the end of the year. Maybe, can I give an excuse to the Rays? Well, I think it's also the result that's different, just in that Kiermaier held on and Cora ended up giving it back. I mean, not that I'm trying to picture, like, what scenario the Red Sox could have actually used that. Like, are they going to devise a system that quickly to be able to convey to their hitters what the pitch is coming in? You know, like, <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of upside the Red Sox had there. Right. But Are there any trash cans in and around the dugout, <laughs> of the visitors' dugout? Because they... Gatorade coolers, there's always something that <laughs> you can a, bang on. There's always something. Are there any Apple Watch? Oh, no, we've gotten rid of the Apple Watches, right? Thankfully. Yes, thankfully. Uh, either way, a classy move by Alex Cora and what could have been, and this is going back to Kiermaier a year ago and what was crucial baseball. Looking back, do I keep this? What do I do with this? And uh, it's shocking to me, though, that Alejandro Kirk would drop another. Yeah. I mean, we were just singing his praises on the broadcast yeah, we for his were. defense. That's we the were. one aspect he has to work on, is keeping those secrets to, to <laughs> Making sure that charts and or pitch comms remain in his pocket. It's important stuff. Uh, I mean, he's chasing things down. He's also, uh, as Jesse is showing on uh, YouTube, as, no, no, that's... Jesse gave me a little tap on his chair. He pulled that up on his computer so that we would have evidence of what happened. That's how quick things work around here, Jesse. So don't tap the shoulder when you minimize the YouTube page. Uh, that right there was work. That is the digital producer Gotta of stay show. quick. Gotta stay on the feet, you know, over here. <laughs> things happen quick on this side. So going back to the American League East, the Rays always seem to find a way to compete. Is this going to be another year where we look at them and say, how are they doing this? I think so. I mean... To me, they've just got so much pitching. Um, they just got this inventory of arms that they keep cycling through. And they've got more guys coming back. Shane Baz hasn't pitched for them yet this year. So it, it's always going to be tough to score against Tampa Bay. To me, the Jays and Yankees offensively have so much that they are going to separate themselves. I think the Jays and Yankees are the best teams. I think the Jays are the best team. Like I think the Blue Jays should be the favorites to win the AL East at this point. After going 13-7, and seven, and they still have the entire AL Central, they still have 19 against the Orioles, they're in a really good spot here. I had it open. It closed on me. I would have been able to tell you immediately whether or not the Jays. Uh, last check, they were the favorites still, even with the Yankees a half game up in the American League East, which is where they stand right now after yet another win. They're sixth straight. They sweep both Cleveland and then Baltimore. Let's get back to Manoa for one split second here. Uh, you heard Charlie talking about it. We've been talking about how many straight starts the team has won. But what Charlie was referring to, and if it confused you at all with the 8 and the 11, the, the 12 is, excuse me, how many Jays wins have come when he started the game. 12 straight when he starts, the Jays win the game. But Manoa has won himself eight straight starts. That is now tied for the second longest streak in Blue Jays history. I can do some quick trivia for those playing at home. Uh, there it is. We gave you the answer. Uh, Roy Halladay, Roger Clemens are the other two on that list 
that is absolutely the creme de la creme. That's good news for anyone who has a bet on Alec Manoa Cy Young. Yeah, it's impressive. It's really impressive. I mean, it, it, again, it just shows to me like how much of a workhorse he's become because you don't win that many games if you're disappearing in the fifth inning. But he's someone already who's going seven. You know, I think we'll see some eights and nines from Manoa in his career. Before I let you go, and I, I know you probably don't have the answer to this, but was it just a good sign that Vladdy picked up a bat in the sixth inning and walked down behind the dugout seemingly towards the cage? Yeah, it, it is a good sign. I mean, with Vladdy, just like seeing and hearing from him how much he wants to play, I talked to him in spring training about his target number of games. He said 162, and then some. He said he wants playoffs after that. So, you know, this is a guy who wants to be out there every single day. Obviously, this was not one of them, um, and a little bit of a scary moment last night, as you see there with the foot. But he's he's such a gamer. He is such a gamer. He wants to be out there all the time. Same with Springer. Same with Bo. I mean, it really, it's on Montoya and the coaching staff to find times to take these guys out of the lineup because if it, if it's up to them, they would play almost every single day. Uh, all right, so no rest for the weary, as we mentioned already. Houston, then New York. They do miss Justin Verlander. Jose Arquiti will get the lid lifter of the three-game set against Yusei Kikuchi. What do you make of what you've seen from Yusei Kikuchi thus far before we say goodbye here? Yeah, he looks like a guy to me who's searching for it. You know, he's someone who's not really locating the cutter um, as, as often as he should um, in a way that's attacking hitters. He's throwing the cutter a ton. Um, I think the fastball has been really effective. I think there's a strong case to be made for throwing that fastball more, but we just haven't seen that so far. So the results have been middling. The command has not been good. There's the stuff is there. So I think if you're the Jays, that's what you go back to, and that's what you hope comes back for Kikuchi. But uh, you know, so far the stuff has been better than the results. Uh, any more tweets before we say goodbye, Jesse Rubin? Uh, I do have a few. Um, one in particular that you can take whenever you you'd like. Uh, the Iron Sheik, Blue Jays suplex everybody, Timmy Bubba. <laughs> the Iron Sheik, you got to lay into that. That is all caps. The Blue Jays suplex everybody, Timmy Bubba. Yeah, okay. Iron Sheik, yeah. cameraman zoom it. He did it a little bit better. Love it. Uh, Connor writes in, says, uh, feeling like never giving up. An ode to uh, Goske. Don't Kato. Rick roll us now. Yeah, just Rick rolled you. Uh, Dan says, uh, not sustainable. Everyone who knows baseball sees the elephant in the room, and I believe the elephant in the room is that they're not scoring runs at a pace that many people would have expected them to score runs. But isn't that because there's guys out of the lineup? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's true that their run differential is like plus three or something, right. so that's not impressive, but they're 13 and seven. Again, wouldn't you rather be in this spot than last year when they had this amazing run differential, but they were 500? There might be an elephant in the room, but there's an explanation, and it's not that big of an elephant. <laughs> Jesse, you want to close this out? Yeah, let's uh, let's close out with this. Uh, Kevin writes in and says, Manoa is the ace, not a conversation, no debate. He's the ace. I think Kevin Gossman and Jose Barrios might have something to say about that. It is only three starts from, for all of them, but what do you think about that, Benny? I think Kevin Gossman, yeah, I think Kevin Gossman would be the ace for me after what we've seen this year. But for Manoa to be right in that conversation is pretty much best case scenario. Oh, I mean, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. That is a good <laughs> like problem. Three options of yeah, who your ace is going to be. To argue about that. Uh, and your opening day starter wasn't yeah. the guy who either of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Benny, always appreciate you doing this. Thanks for stopping by. My pleasure. All right, there's Ben Nicholson-Smith. Check out him and Arden Zwelling at The Letters Podcast and Sportsnet.ca. There's another big game in town tonight. That's right, kids. After the break, we will head 
down to the Rogers Center, uh, about a kilometer from the Rogers Center, that is. Turn our attention to the Toronto Raptors. Game six in the six against the Sixers. We'll do that. Man, look at Bremner just jam-packed between Rogers Center and Scotiabank Arena. Tim and friends tell 8 Eastern some bonus time. And on Monday for game five in Philly, Bremner Boulevard, which runs a couple city blocks from Scotiabank Arena to the Rogers Center, was jam-packed even in the rain. Today with the Jays letting out and the Raptors game six scheduled to start in about 18 minutes from now. It is madness and expected to get worse. I wonder how many had tickets to both or Jays fans that may stick around for game six of the day. Raptors and Sixers with history on the horizon. If the Raps can win tonight in NBA history, a grand total of 146 teams have been down three games to none in a best of seven. The Raptors are just the 14th of those 146 to even see a game number six. If they somehow pull out another dub, they will become just the fourth team to force a game seven. Win that, and you will go down in NBA history as the one and only to claw back from 3-0 down to win a series. It's happened in the NHL. It's happened in Major League Baseball. Basketball is the only one of the big four North American sports league that plays to a best of seven where it has not happened. Raptors trying to become the first. But as Jesse says, first things first, Timmy. First things first. They've got to get the win tonight in game six. As expected, Fred Van Vliet out again tonight, strained left hip flexor. Nick Nurse confirmed this just a little while ago after struggling early in the series. Pascal Siakam has led the way for the Raptors in their back-to-back -back wins. Nurse was asked about the difference in his star forward over those last two games. Well, I just think he's doing a lot of, of little things. I, I, you know, we're all seeing the big things, the points and the assists and things, but he's doing a lot of little things. He's He's been really good in his defensive rotations. He's been really good on the glass and not even just grabbing them. He's been good at helping block out and, you know, doing a lot of little, little, little things, flying out at shooters, all those kind of things. His activity is what is what stood out to me. That's kind of what stood, about, stood out about the big lineup is mm -hmm. the activity. Um, has the game in, say, a half given the Sixers, Jesse, the opportunity to adjust to what the Raptors are doing? Like, might we see a different response from Philadelphia this time around because they've been able to see what the Raptors are trying to do with all this length? I think probably you'll see an adjustment, but can you handle it, right? Because you can try all the adjustments you want, but this is such a unique lineup that so few NBA teams, if any of them, have the capability of running out there on the floor. And I think when you hear a nurse talk about Pascal Siakam, Having the ball in his hands more early in the shot clock is something that obviously he has had to do with Fred Van Vliet being out of the lineup. And instead, instead of him getting the ball late in the clock and having to create on his own, which sometimes he gets a little flustered uh, at times, you've seen him now feel like he can control the pace of the game. And I just wonder if you feel like that has been a difference maker for him and getting him more comfortable, more involved early in the possession. And, and more confident. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing with Pascal Siakam is his confidence within a game. 
And I think we saw in game three where he really struggled to close out that game. Uh, his confidence take a bit of a hit, mm -hmm. and he was settling for jumpers where when he's got that mojo, when he's got that feeling, he's taking it to the team. Right. Then you draw two defenders. Then that kick out. All those assist numbers that you see there, when he is aggressive, go up. Because what happens is other teams swarm and you've got open jump shooters. And uh, listen, I... I Part of me is worried with how many people are picking the Toronto Raptors <laughs> yeah. to get this yeah. to seven, knowing the history that we just gave. Like, just getting to a game seven is historic. Like, yes. three out of 146 have gotten to even a game seven. That speaks to how difficult this really is. You asked me uh, prior to, uh, I guess, game five, whether... I thought the Raptors would be coming home for game six. And I said, I thought it was dependent on, on Gary Trent. And the reason I said that is because the Raptors, with this lineup, their shooting is iffy, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have Fred to sort of space things out mm -hmm. uh, like they, they usually do. So what scares me about the Sixers is they can have a good shooting night on one end, and then if they play the zone against the Raptors and the Raptors struggle, if Gary Trent has an off night like he did in games one right. and two, I know that he was... Uh, he, had, he was ill. He had an illness uh, that those two games. But that kind of freaks me out because really it just takes one good shooting night for the Sixers and one cold night right. for the Raptors. And Dwayne Casey's old adage, right, it's a make or miss league. And that's really what it is. So irrespective of the momentum that we have right. seen the last couple of games from the Raptors, if you get cold, you're going to be in trouble. Right. So, so that kind of... When you have Charles Barkley and you have uh, Isaiah Thomas saying that there's no chance the Sixers are going to win... Yeah. Like that ratchets up the pressure almost back towards the Raptors, which I think is a little bit of a concern. Uh, there's some pressure on Doc Rivers. There's some pressure on Joel Embiid. And there's yeah. a lot of pressure right now on James Harden. And that's the guy who stares me. Because if he gets it going, right. if you see a shade of what he was in the past, that could be the difference maker. Uh, and again, a reminder, no Matisse Thybul in this game. He can't cross the border. I don't know if that's good or bad <laughs> for the Toronto Raptors or the Philadelphia 76ers. Faisal Kamisa has been manning Jurassic Park for us all series long. Through rain, through shine, Faisal has been there. And with the Raptors trying to send the series to seven games on their home cart, uh, Faisal, it feels like there's got to be a bit of a buzz down there tonight. Oh, well, just a little bit, Tim. You can already hear it behind me. Everyone is getting excited. And I want to just peel the curtain back a little bit for people at home. So when I'm standing here, our producers back in the studio will be like, oh, Faisal, 20 seconds to air. Assume you're hot. And I'll be like, yo, assume I'm hot. You know, that's great. But really what they mean is assume you're on TV and everyone can see you acting really, really dumb. And for a guy with wavering confidence, it gets a little bit confusing. There is zero wavering confidence in this park right now and 100% conviction that the Raptors are going to be back playing in Game 7 and that everybody here is going to be back on Saturday, right? Yeah, yeah. So, understandably, Tim, I've been asking people their confidence levels and you don't need a lot, you know, of answers from me to tell you at home how much these guys believe in their team. There is so much belief, and there was when they were down 3-0, when they were down 3-1, and now when they're down at 3-2 as well. So when I hear the words, assume you're hot, that might mean something different for me, but when it pertains to the Raptors, they don't need to assume, Tim. They're as hot as any team 
in sports right now, and this fan base believes they're going to stay hot tonight. Uh, you can always tell how jam-packed it is when a reporter out in the field, one, puts his finger to his ear or her ear, and two, <laughs> feels the need to yell even though they have a microphone because, Faisal, you can hardly hear us. <laughs> I can't hear anything you're saying, but I assume you said, good job, Basil, and that's what I'm going to go with, so thank you. Thanks, Basil. Appreciate you, homie. Be well. And never mind that wavering confidence. You do look hot, my friend. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. Thank I got the confidence to say that. I am confident enough to say that. Basil Camisa down in Jurassic Park for game six in the six against the Sixers. It's almost poetic, Jesse. <laughs> the point he made, like, it is the difference from early in the series, Jurassic Park, to what we just saw yeah. with Basil, is insane. Like, you can feel the shift in the series. I just yeah, well, when we first went there, it was like 2 nothing, right? Yeah. In the series. Different It vibe. did not look good. The Sixers had shot 50% in the first two games. <laughs> back, they shot 50% in the first three games. There was rain. There was one point where they, were, they had squeegees to push the snow off the stage. Uh, it's chilly in downtown Toronto. But these folks are ready for game six and hopefully a game seven for their sake. What do you think in terms of uh, keys to the game tonight to send this thing back to Philly? There's been an emergence and, and obviously Pascal Siakam's performances in game four and game five are absolutely huge. As you mentioned, Gary Trent Jr. has been very big. But there are two names that have jumped out to me in the last couple that have really um, put their imprint on the series and I'm not sure that we envisioned that one was Thaddeus Young mm -hmm. and being able to handle the things that roll in the postseason and I thought in game four at least he was the one that helped them break the zone from the Sixers and it wasn't with outside shooting it was with intelligence Very good and smart yep. and basketball IQ and the other one is Precious Achua and I just wonder if listen you know I was I was very early on the Pascal Siakam train. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were saying OG Ananobi was the next one. I gave one of my little diatribes about hearing that Pascal Siakam was going to be the next one before that 2019 season. And he turned into that. I wonder if we're watching Precious Achua turn into the next Raptors discovery in front of our very eyes. It's amazing to think about where he was at the beginning of this year. And you talk about this all the time. Speaks to the Raptors culture. They develop players. And that is exactly what's happening with Precious Achua. Uh, we got a doubleheader on Sportsnet 360 coming up. Jazz and Mavs, Pelicans and Suns. Uh, that Pelicans-Suns game, it is game six that has been way tighter than we initially anticipated. And is there an update on Woj and Devin Booker? Mr. Rubinoff, do you have that in front of you or yes. do I just say it? Andrew Lopez uh, reported Devin Booker will be playing tonight. Booker's minutes uh, will be watched, according to Monty Williams. Uh, no indication of what the minutes restriction will be, but that's obviously massive for the uh, Suns. Ultimate respect to Woj. I just assumed it was him yeah, breaking no, the news. I'm Sorry, sure Andrew, it was. I, I just grabbed this one. Still to come, we will check in with Donovan Bennett in Las Vegas at the NFL Draft. But up next, 122 and counting. We lean into hockey. Coming up, Connor McDavid will look to add to his career best as the Oilers host the Sharks tonight. We're talking hockey with Sam Cosentino after this short commercial interlude. Tim and friends, now for Tim and friends. 
now time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheepdog's back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends taking you until 8 p.m. That's a full bonus hour of Tim and Friends. Six Mountain across Sportsnet as the Flames and Wild will take over at that hour. We are out at 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet 360. Game six of the Suns and Pelicans takes over on Sportsnet 360. Donovan Bennett will join us from the NFL Draft live from Vegas. Tough gig. Well, Nick Kiprio <laughs> stops by later on. And Sam Cosentino, already in studio. He will sit there in minutes as we lean into hockey ahead of the Flames and the Wild on the network. But first, Jays, a little afternoon delight, trying to take three or four from the Red Sox this afternoon. Here's how that went down for your viewing pleasure. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. not in the starting lineup after fouling a ball off his foot on Wednesday. Didn't really need him. Why? Alec Manoa, the Jays have won his last 11 starts. He has won personally seven in a row. Christian Vasquez, Trevor Story. Not much of a matchup for the big fella. Bottom of the third, two on, two out. Alejandro Kirk like the Iron Sheik is camel clutch. The two out single scores Lourdes Gurriel Jr. to give the Jays a 1-0 lead. That's big because Manoa was straight dealing. Bobby Dalba chasing high heat. Travis Shaw goes down swinging. Manoa 7Ks through 5 in the dugout. Vladdy, as always, feeling pretty good. Top 6, Christian Vasquez gets a hold of one. Deep right field, Romel Tapia tracking. And he makes the catch while his foot got stuck in the fence. That is pretty impressive. Manoa loves it. He allows just three hits over seven shutout frames to the top of the ninth. It's going down. I'm yelling Simber and then out Jordan Romano. One on two out. Jackie Bradley Jr. Love peace and hair grease to end the game. The Markham Ontario native gets his AL leading ninth save of the season. So much leverage. Jays win it one nothing your final. You know, the, the one thing about Manoa's pitching, like a one nothing game, like I'm not, okay, let's get this guy ready, let's get this guy ready. Like I I'm, I'm, I'm feel like, okay, he's, he's got it, you know. All, all I'm watching is his pitch count. Other than, other than that, he'll be fine because, of course, we have to be careful. This is second, first full year. So, yeah, I mean, he's pretty good. I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, it's pretty cool um, just to be able to have the trust to be able to go out there. And uh, he trusts me in high situations that are, you know, runners on things like that, where guys might be getting tired. Uh, he he knows I got an extra an extra level in there, you know. So um, it, it's good to have that confidence behind me. Jays remain a half game back of the Yanks, who won their sixth straight this afternoon. Let's head to hockey. Oilers hosting the Sharks as they get set for their first round playoff matchup with the Kings. See it on Sportsnet East Ontario and one 9 p.m. Eastern for that one. With more on the Oilers and a special visitor at practice today. Let's send it to Gene Principe, Gino. Tim, I think in life it's always about perspective. And as uh, the city of Edmonton and oil country and oiler fans uh, all around North America, maybe the world get excited about the playoffs as the Oilers will finish up their final two regular season games on home ice. Uh, what a moment 
this morning as Edmonton had their morning skate in preparation for tonight's matchup at Rogers Place against the San Jose Sharks. Ben Stelter, a little boy who is five years old, who unfortunately has been stricken with brain cancer, has been in and around the team over the last while. And I tell you what, they have fallen in love with this little boy. And what an opportunity for him to get a chance to skate with the Edmonton Oilers this morning. Of course, he was delighted to have the chance, but he wasn't the only person on the ice who was inspired by what took place between this young little boy and the Edmonton Oilers. Cool experience for, for him and, and for us to have him out on the ice to, today and uh, talk to him after a little bit. He had a lot of fun, so uh, he's, he's been a real inspiration for us and I mean you can tell I mean we've been rallying around him and uh, see him in warm-up see him after the game uh, coming out for uh, uh, for the different periods so uh, yeah I think it was a cool cool experience for him and uh, at the same time for us as well yeah I think it's just fun to have him around um, kind of brings a positive energy you guys are laughing smiling and um, it's just fun to put a smile on his face too seeing him laughing and smiling makes us do the same thing so it uh, brings a little joy and uh, fun to the rink. All right a couple of uh, hockey related notes Darnell Nurse the Oilers had a chance to see him today he is not in the lineup tonight still considered day to day and Jay Woodcroft is uh, either not saying or maybe just not certain yet whether he'll be ready to go for the opening round of the playoffs the head coach has been quite clear in taking it one game at a time but He's attempting to do the best that he can over these next two games, Friday at home against Vancouver, to prepare the Oilers, as he said, for game 83, which is the opening game of the first round of the playoffs. And, Tim, let's finish with Ben Stelter. Uh, this young boy, when he's in the building, which he will be tonight, the Oilers are a perfect 8-0. and uh, He's hoping, and so are the Oilers and their fans, that the Oilers will be 9-0 and after their game tonight against the Sharks. Awesome stuff, as always, Gino. Uh, Flames are in Minnesota to take on the Wild, a game you can see following us at 6 local in Calgary on Sportsnet West regionally. Nothing on the line for Calgary as they await their first-round opponent, either the Stars or the Preds. While the Wild, they know they will play the Blues, but they're fighting for home ice in that first round. Jacob Markstrom against Cam Talbot in the crease, while Daryl Sutter can get win number 700, which would tie him for 10th on the all-time list. Milestone throughout the season with 700 victories means something to you. Yeah, so not many guys holds the league. Coaches are judged on three things: right? Stanley Cups, wins, playoffs. Well, that's what. That's at the end of the day what, what counts. And those are deep thoughts with Daryl Sutter. I love that. How verbose. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy Cosentino joining us in the studio. Uh, good to have you back, my friend. Nice to be back to see you. Johnny Granola. What's going on? <laughs> <I love it. laughs> uh, he's right, though. He's like, I, I know that people love how he answers the questions, the deep breathing before he answers the questions. Like, that's all part of the deep thoughts with Daryl Sutter. But he's right. Like, coaches, it is yep. cut and it is dry. Stanley Cups, wins, and playoffs, and this team seems like it's rounding into form, even though they're kind of home and cooled. Yeah, I think they are. And he's not a guy who's going to let them be home and cooled. No. He's a guy who's going to make sure that things are dialed up properly and find some sort of motivation. And you know, maybe throw a guy or two somewhat under the bus just to keep them, <laughs> keep them on edge, keep, keep them on their toes. But yeah. that's... 
That's kind of his coaching style. Is it something that's going to be long-lasting in this day and age? Probably not. But it's been the tonic for, for Calgary going back to when he came in. And, you know, I was a little bit skeptical of when he was brought in. Uh, but it turns out to be a genius move because he had a real good sense for what the team was. Um, helped Brad Tree Living go out and make some acquisitions to improve in the areas in which he thought he needed to improve. Yeah. And uh, you can't argue with the success so far. Uh, this is from Milan Lucic. Daryl's been on us about being in playoff mode for the past 10 to 15 games. I think that's what makes him a really good coach and why we've had success as a team. And then you see the way they go into Nashville and play that game against the Predators. Like, no. this was, they, there was no ease up. Like, I know the Leafs had some fight in Tampa, but to see the contrast yeah. in the way Calgary has gone down the stretch and the way the Toronto Maple Leafs has gone down the stretch, I mean, the proof will be in the pudding in the postseason, yeah. and we can judge then, but it's really interesting to see the two contrasts. Oh, my goodness. And, and when Luch comes out and says that's one of the best five games <laughs> I've ever been in, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Now, I was in Brandon that night watching a junior game, uh, and we were actually on – Ken Weeb and I were driving home. Nice. We were watching the – shouldn't say this, but we were watching the Vegas shootout on right. the dashboard with my phone there. Right. So I didn't get to see some of the Calgary game, but we went and talked to Dave Lowry. Well, we was day. watching it while you were driving. Yeah. No, the other way around. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we went into Dave Lowry's uh, office the next morning, you know, on the pregame skate yeah. for, for the Jets, and he was like, that was awesome. And it was really typical Dave Lowry right. type of game. So I got to go back and maybe take a peek at, at what happened there exactly. But it looked like it was amazing oh. stuff like playoff hockey already it, it was it yeah. was message sending it was playoff hockey listen Markstrom was on the bench and it looks like he's going to play tonight against Cam Talbot which is an interesting call for both teams I would assume Calgary going back to back here on the second last day of the regular season that this is the last game that you're going to see tonight Markstrom play but it seems like the team and the way they've played 10-1-1 run 7-0-1-1 on the road going back to March 19th, <laughs> yep. that they're ready for the postseason. Yeah, they're, they're dialed in. And you just want to make sure you keep everybody sharp, keep everybody healthy, get a couple of good practice days in. And then also you have to incorporate rest. That's one thing that coaches going back in the day never really thought was a weapon. Right. But it's been that way for the last couple of years, especially with COVID, the condensed schedule, that sort of thing. So you got to mix in a little bit of that as well. Uh, we also heard from Gino as the Oilers get set yeah. to play the game tonight. And that Ben Salter story is wonderful. It's awesome. Yeah. So I bring, you know, I've always looked at life a little differently after having kids. Mm -hmm. And when you see stuff like that, it, it hits home, man. It's, it's cool what the Oilers are doing, and I hope that's something that they continue here uh, moving forward. Uh, they played some pretty good. Uh, there's a guy over your left shoulder in that, in that other shot, <laughs> yeah. uh, Jay Woodcroft, who uh, stepped into this fire. And it was a fire when he got there. I mean, let's not forget the sky was falling when, oh, yeah. you know, like in Edmonton, there was a lot of worry. And since then, Connor McDavid has been wonderful, and the team has been great. Mike Smith has been wonderful. 24-9-3. Uh, and three. Uh, I think the, the Oilers have found their coach moving forward. I think they have. And you know what? To me, a lot of it goes back to Ken Holland. Yeah. So Ken Holland was a guy who was in Detroit who a lot of people, myself included, said, yeah, he was kind of on cruise control, didn't have to make too many controversial moves, was really never in any kind of um, – you know, uh, despair in right. his job. And then he comes over to Edmonton. There's a couple of things that are happening. And three things that was common, three things that were common with the Edmonton Oilers. Defense, goaltending, and depth scoring. 
Right. And so how are you going to address all of those things? Right. And he has. So first of all, you get the coach, and that helps fix a couple of things. But then you go out, you get Hyman, you get Fogel, you address the depth scoring. Pooley Arvey's had a real run to prominence. Yamamoto's had a great year, 19 goals. And then I look at the emergence of Evan Bouchard in the back end, and then he goes out and gets Evander Kane. Yeah. And I, like most people, were saying, what are you doing? <laughs> and then he says, I'm not going to touch my goalies. I'm confident with two goalies. And everybody, like myself, is saying, what, what are you, are you doing? doing? <laughs> and they've worked out magically. I mean, Smith is playing some of the best hockey as he was last year, and and everyone else looks like they're they're ready to rock. And of course, the two big guys are still doing their thing. Uh, Mike Smith, the numbers in oh. April are ridiculous. Oh. How about this? Tuesday night, he tied Grant Fuhrer's franchise record by winning his tenth consecutive start. That's crazy. But I mean, you're still a little bit concerned about the health moving forward. It's nice to see that Koskinen had a rebound. Um, when Smith came back, and it was interesting because the way I looked at it for, for Ken Holland at the start of the year is you have two guys that you know you can't play too much. Right. So if you play Smith too much, he's probably going to get hurt, and it did. Yep. And if you play Koskinen too much, he can't handle the load of a number one guy. Yeah. So getting them both together, all right, we're going to run with Smith now because he's playing well. Got but you. Koskinen, keep him sharp as well and have him as a great backup. So, so you're worried a little bit of what you're going to see when it goes back-to-back nights, or excuse me. Yeah. Two games every and the, and the grind of the playoffs and the yeah. travel and guys, you know, guys, they're not going to be afraid to go at Mike Smith hard in the crease. And you know, like that's how playoff hockey works. Uh, it'll be something to keep an eye on without a doubt. Um, the NHL player pool came out <laughs> yesterday yeah. and it was real interesting to me. The one that jumped out the most was if you need to win one game, who is the one skater that you would want on your team? And. Connor McDavid in a landslide doesn't shock me all that much, but the rest of the numbers shock me a little bit. And I'll read them off yeah, as they go. McDavid, 42.4%. Okay. Crosby, 17.3%. Then it goes Hedman, Barkoff, McKinnon is fifth on yeah. that list. <laughs> With a, the, the only thing I want to ask the NHLPA is, how long were you compiling these numbers? Because to me, it seems like that's an I have no problem with McDavid where he is yeah but it seems to me like that's an over the season compilation right. where's Austin Matthews yeah on that list and might Drysaddle be there might McDavid be higher like there's a few hmm, yeah in this there is a little bit of that but even if it goes over the course of the long term don't you think that it's pretty cool that players around the league respect a guy like Hedman who's really come into yeah. prominence and really cool, especially Barkov. You know, you play in a market where you don't get a lot of love. There's not a lot of fanfare about that yeah. market. What an unbelievable team they put together. But Barkov's been the guy. And, and, in fact, it goes back to when Dale Talon drafted him. It was a little bit of a surprise at that point for Florida yep. where they drafted him. And to think that he's had the career he has and starting to get the recognition as that two-way guy who puts up a ton of points, I think that's really cool to, to see that. I mean, of course, you're going to think about I'm with you about, on that. Yeah. I'm and, with you. And, and nice. I wonder so, if Uberdo would move up a little bit given the year that he's had, too. Yeah, and I've, I've been, you know, trumpeting his, his Hart Trophy nomination all season long because, for me, what's the definition of a most valuable player? It's someone who obviously has done a lot of really good things but makes those around them better. Right. And leads a team into the playoffs. They have the controversy with Quenville. They haven't skipped a beat. Yeah. And he's been there throwing out assists left, right, and center. His even strength points are pretty good. Power play points are, are at a level where he's not overloaded on power play points. So he's been my guy. I don't think he's going to win it. But Matthews is, I think, a really valid point that you bring up when it comes to that. My goodness, he's been awesome this year. It's been 
it's it's been a pleasure to watch this yeah. guy play this year to see how his game has come full circle and you know the backtrack the stick the speed sh playing not not uh, asserting himself physically but repelling it really well right like i i love and standing i love and the standing up for himself every oh, yeah. once in a while and, and not that's laughing when, when he's getting into scrubs right. like you can literally see that maturity right in front of our eyes. It's been a pleasure. He he's a guy I honestly I would pay to watch him play. He's awesome. You know, people people pooped all over the Canadian division last yeah. year. You look back now and you have that Hart Trophy conversation, <laughs> and there's some pretty damn good players that were playing. Listen, I know it wasn't the greatest division in hockey, but I don't think it was as bad as most people are saying. You had Austin Matthews. What Johnny Hockey is doing, I'm oh, going to make crazy. a case after the break oh, yeah. where I may disagree with you on Uberdo yeah. being in that <laughs> yeah. top three. But Drysaddle, you could make a case for. And, of course, Connor McDavid. Yeah. There, there are some great players. Never mind Vancouver and Winnipeg, even though they didn't live up to expectations. There's still some great players in both of those spots. Oh, yeah. And everyone, you know, be, everyone's saying more about that Canadian division because of where Montreal is this year. But right. you go back, it was an entirely different team. Their top four D were missing most yeah. of the year, and the best goalie in the world was missing most of the year, or well, most of the year this year as well. Yeah, so. played a couple games, a handful of games. That's it. Uh, Sammy Kaz, we always appreciate Good to you see coming. you, man. Hey, we're going to have to do with that under-18 tournament going on right now. There's yeah. some names there. And I know that there was a, an interesting first overall pick in the OHL draft yep. uh, last little while, so we'll talk about all that when oh, yeah, we come let's back, do it. okay? Can't wait. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Cosentino, good friend of the show. Coming up first round of the NFL draft. NFL draft goes tonight in Vegas. Talk about a baptism by fire for those kids. We'll go <laughs> live to the strip. Check in with Donovan Bennett after this right here on Tim and Friends. The extended version of Tim and Friends continues taking up until hockey on Sportsnet West Flames and Wild. Nick Kiprios on the way as we take you there right here on Sportsnet. Uh, we're less than an hour away from the start of the NFL draft in Vegas. We'll catch up with Donovan Bennett from Vegas momentarily. One of the top ranked Canadians in the draft is former Alabama receiver John Mechie who's projected to go in and around the second round. With more on his story, here's Eric Thomas. John Mechie the third, who's been fantastic. He really has. I mean, this guy came out of nowhere. I think we have a new star we can talk about. Holy cow. That's number eight, a guy you're going to be watching in the next few years. John Mechie called Taiwan and Ghana home before immigrating to Brampton, Ontario at age seven. As a teenager, he moved to Maryland to develop his skills, eventually blossoming into a four-star recruit. That's how Mechie landed a scholarship at college football's most prestigious program. John Mechie came in and, and seemed to really understand that it would take some time, did not get much playing time his first year, got more playing time his second year, but really blossomed um, by the time, you know, this, this final pass season that he had at Alabama to where he was that number one wide receiver. Touchdown, John Mechie, and it's Mechie, and he is gone again. Touchdown, Alabama. Mechie scored eight touchdowns and racked up over 1,100 receiving yards in his junior year. But that final season in Tuscaloosa came to an abrupt end in the SEC championship game. And Mechie's down. Fans holding their breath with number eight on the turf. He suffered a torn ACL. ACL injuries are so commonplace in the NFL where almost all cases, those players are going to come back and be just as they were before. 
One of the teams linked to Mechie leading up to the draft, the New England Patriots, a team that features a familiar quarterback. Jones complete. John Mechie, touchdown. I think New England would be good offense for him, too, where he already has that connection with Mac Jones. They, they played together for a year at Alabama, and that's when Mechie really started to come onto the scene was with Mac at quarterback. Mechie likely won't be taken in round one as he lacks the size and speed teams covet that high in the draft. But his toughness and route-running ability make him an intriguing option for teams in rounds two or three. Mechie runs a beautiful route. You can't do it any better than this. Alabama runs a, an NFL-type system, an NFL-type offense, and I think that there's an expectation that they can come in and play in a similar system in the NFL, and the learning curve won't be quite as steep, and they don't have to make as much of a projection as they would uh, compared to a smaller school prospect. First heard about the kid, I looked at the last name, and I know that name from somewhere. It was the University of Guelph and covering his brother Royce Mechie, who's now in the CFL. So there is uh, some blood in the veins that runs deep in the game of football with John Mechie. Same with Donovan Bennett, who joins me now from Las Vegas. Tough gig, Donovan Bennett. What's going on here? Las Vegas for the NFL draft. Yes, sir, uh, the adult playground is the football playground this week. And yeah, I, I got here differently, not off my athletic ability as a football player. Mama, we made it to draft day. Just it, it was a bit delayed. But yeah, Vegas is on one uh, as the cornerback who is styling right now is saying too much sauce right now. Yeah, too much sauce. This is like for those who haven't seen uh, Sauce Gardner's uh, get up for tonight. Uh, he, he has put on a little bit of sauce himself. Uh, bring the umbrella. There's a little bit of drip at the draft, Donovan. Um, this is a baptism by fire for these kids with the draft in Las Vegas. Yeah, first of all, sauce. I hope it's insured, my guy. Okay, <laughs> yes. you haven't made the money yet, yes. so make sure you take care of that investment. Uh, but yeah, it is no question. Uh, <laughs> you're starting your career in the city of sin with the lap of luxury and entertainment right here and that is what it's like to be in the league dare waller was walking around in the nfl experience couldn't move and he lives here every day uh 365 and i, I remember the conversation happening oh professional sports will never go to vegas because athletes would never be able to make it there throughout the year well golden knights they've been fine mm -hmm. they love the raiders here as well so this is a full-on sports city now end of 2023 beginning of 2024 you're gonna have f1 here you're gonna have a super bowl here and in the span of five months pro bowl draft super bowl uh in five years sorry no other city has ever done that you and i looked at the landscape a while ago in fact i think we had a conversation on the show when the nba all-star game went to las vegas and we started noticing that the leagues were kind of cozying up to gambling and changing their opinions on gambling and making it a little less um you know taboo to discuss gambling now we're seeing it uh, almost over the top but uh, you kind of saw this coming, didn't you? You had to. Yeah. Tim, people are gambling hard on the NFL draft and who is going to go where and who's going to fall. It, it, it's a press conference, essentially. It's a conference call, and people are at sports books traveling here 
to watch essentially a press conference. So the gambling is a big piece of this because as we know, there was a lot of dark money for it. So that money is coming into light and, and biggest is in experienced town and having money, having some skin in the game in these sports makes the experience that much more fun. So it, it is a big part of that conversation. And everyone's looking for unique revenue. And that's a big one for these leagues. If you're going to continue to pay these players uh, and build stadiums with your own money, you got to get some new money coming in as well. Uh, it looks like Walker is now the overwhelming favorite to go first overall. If you had to ask me a month ago, I would have said, put your money on Aiden Hutchison. This is, uh, this is real interesting. But let, let me ask you just um, kind of big picture, Donovan. Like, obviously... Everyone was looking for new revenue streams and gambling has provided a new revenue stream for sports. But as an overall picture, how is Vegas doing as a sports town? Uh, it's a destination spot now. I mean, we talked about the sporting events that are already here, the ones that are coming. And, you know, they, there's a science to this. We know in terms of travelers that if there's a sporting event attached to a visit, you extend that trip two to three days and so Vegas is trying to get here throughout the year more often and it is now not just bachelor trips it is guys trips sports trips uh, so it's a huge part of that sports conversation there's a reason why the Las Vegas Bowl has better teams in it now than it did a while ago <laughs> yeah. because the stadium that it's in is so much nicer and I think when you look at some of the improvements that you've seen in South Beach in terms of their infrastructure people are looking around and saying man L.A. and Vegas are now NFL cities. They're going to have these big events and Super Bowls. We need to step our game up if right. we're going to be the default place for big competitions to come. Uh, you and I have always talked football for a long time. Uh, so let me ask you this. Are we going to be shocked when someone takes a quarterback in the first round? I have never seen a draft where I have no idea where the top quarterbacks are going to go. Yeah, I guess call it the Baker Mayfield effect. Right, because there is not cost certainty when you take a high pick. His homie, Kyler Murray, great player, runs like a toddler, acts like a toddler. That might not work out as well. But when you look later in the draft, Patrick Mahomes, they had a quarterback, they waited, they got it a guy. Right. Uh, Josh Allen, who's not a uh, first overall pick. We crushed that pick. Looks pretty good. Lamar Jackson was supposed to be a the receiver. They right. had a quarterback in Joe Flacco, they went and got a guy. It's clearly proof that you can get value in a, with a QB later in the draft. So people aren't spending that capital early. They're spending it on going after quarterbacks, defensive ends, and protecting them offensive linemen. So I think we're seeing the economics of those high draft picks coming into play. Oh, without a doubt. Economics in Vegas. Be careful with that, my friend. Tough gig. Enjoy it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, try. I'll try. There is Donovan Bennett. All right, for those of you watching on Sportsnet 360, Game 6, Suns Pelicans is coming up next. Meanwhile, Tim and Friends continues on Sportsnet. We'll get back to the hockey talk with Nick Kiprios with a focus on the Flames as they get set to face the Wild tonight on Sportsnet West. And I'll explain why Johnny Gaudreau deserves to be a Hart Trophy finalist and maybe more. Stick around. Tim and Friends continues. Welcome back. Extended version of Tim and Friends. Flames of Wild coming up at Sportsnet West. Bottom of the hour. Six local, eight Eastern. Johnny Gaudreau and the Flames rolling into the postseason. Excuse me. On a bit of a heater here. Winning three in a row. 5-0-1 in their last six. 10-1-1 in their last 12. 
With all the Hart Trophy talk over the last couple of days, it's worth taking a closer look at Johnny Hockey. A couple of weeks ago, I said, with all due respect to Jonathan Uberdo, I thought that all three Hart Trophy finalists played their hockey in Canada. Bet Rivers and almost every other website agrees with me on Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. But the fact that so many of you are sleeping on Johnny Hockey is kind of disturbing. Listen, the 113 points with two games left are enough for me. Maybe not for all. I get it. Uberdo's got two more as of right now. But to quote a great man, let me clear my throat. The modern, tight-checking NHL has placed a bigger emphasis on five-on-five scoring. And Johnny Gaudreau is dominating. Yes, dominating. Johnny Hockey might be nine points back in the points race. But when it comes to even-strength points, he not only leads the NHL in ESP by a pretty jaw-dropping 11 points over McDavid and Matthews, but his 88 even-strength points are the most this century with two games remaining. In fact, they're the most since Yaromir Jagr in 1996. That was 26 years ago. And because of all that scoring, as well as the play of Elias Lindholm, Matthew Kachuk, not only is that probably the best line in hockey, Gaudreau's plus-minus of plus 63 is just stupid. Plus 63 is the highest since the turn of the millennium and the biggest number since Wayne Gretzky in 1987 with a chance to pass the great one by the end of the season. So with all due respect to Jonathan Huberdeau, who I love, to Roman Yossi and Igor Shesterkin, not only is Johnny Gaudreau a Hart Trophy finalist, he probably deserves a few more first place votes. Nick Kiprios joins me now, in fact, for the rest of the show. Kipper, welcome back to Tim and Friends. How you doing, my dude? I'm well, Tim. How are you? I- I'm very good. Well, what do you think about the numbers that I just rattled off about Johnny Gaudreau? It, how incredible is this season? Uh, but it, it, does it get overshadowed once again by uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews, 60 goals? The, the, listen, it's nothing to take away from Austin Matthews, but man, oh man, if you're a Leaf and you just put up 60, you're sucking a lot of oxygen out of the media. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately for Johnny Hockey in Calgary, uh, it, it won't get acknowledged as much as it should or as much as you just did, you know, a, a minute ago. Uh, it is off the charts. The numbers that he's able to produce, and for me, five on five, and you had mentioned the plus-minus, only Gretzky. Uh, he is a special player. He has turned himself not in, into a very good player or, or a guy that you can rec- uh, you can just call a, a star in the league. He's special now. And to think at the beginning of the season he wanted to bet on himself, Tid, uh, Tim, and he did not want to go into a position of uh, negotiating a, a contract throughout the regular season – Man, the, the the best bet ever was Johnny Hockey going into UFA uh, with this type of season. All right, so we heard Brad Living say he'll move heaven and earth to get Johnny Gaudreau back. And I know in the market there are a few saying, well, well, hold on a second. Before we commit this kind of money, can we see what he does in the postseason? Where, where do you fall on that kind of, listen, this has been a legendary year versus 
there's been some struggle in the postseason in the past. I think the talent will always be there. And no question that there's still a lot of pressure on Johnny to go in there and do something that he has not shown that uh, he, he can dominate like he's had not only this season, but in past regular seasons into the playoffs. Austin Matthews is in the same boat. The 60 mm -hmm. goals is incredible, but he's another one that people want to see. But if you really want to talk about sheer numbers and what type of attention he'll take, it's not like if Calgary loses in the first round and he has a disappointing season that teams will say, I don't want to pay him no, $10.5 million. There'll be other teams lined up. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of whether you think he's at the top of his game going into a, a, a good playoff run or he falls a little short. The demand on this guy will be off the charts. He will continue to be a special player. And if Calgary ends up losing in the first round, there'll be a lot of other fingers pointing besides Johnny Hockey here. He's going to get his money. For Tree Living and the Calgary uh, ownership, it's just a matter of whether you want to buck up or not. And we all know where Kachuk's situation is. Mm -hmm. Are these two guys short-term? Kachuk, uh, UFA, after the following season, you want to take that chance of losing two guys in two years or you want to lock them up? Right. Uh, Jacob Markstrom expected to start tonight against the Wild. What should be his final uh, action of the regular season uh, as they go back to back here. I just made an argument that Johnny Hockey is in the heart convo, and I would listen to anyone who told me that Markstrom might be more valuable to this team moving forward. That's how good he's been. Every goalie on every team, yeah. like whether you're not, you're talking about Austin Matthews in Toronto or Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay, uh, everybody. It, winning championships will always start from the net out. And it's not like Markstrom or, or any of these guys have to stand on their head every game. But they certainly have to be a star almost every other night. And what you need most of all is just to make the saves that you're supposed to make. It's the ones that a team can lose confidence on that end up going in this time of year. And that's when it starts to unravel. But Markstrom's proved... Uh, much like uh, all the top goalies in the league, that he is the guy and he's going to lead this charge. And as much as we want to talk about offense on any particular team, like I said, Tim, it starts from the net out. It was interesting to me to see the difference between the way Daryl Sutter has handled the stretch run where they're kind of home and cooled, and that game versus the Preds, which could be a first-round matchup, <laughs> being yeah. as heated as it was, and the way the Leafs have handled their stretch run and their potential first-round matchup in Tampa. Uh, was that difference between the way they're handling it interesting to you, too? Well, it's such a fine line between yeah. – uh, protecting your your investments going into game one and not taking your foot off the pedal and not messing with a, a rhythm and and all of that right at the end of the day these guys they're supposed to be hockey players they show up to the rink and they want to play and some of them like the time off uh and some of them don't but you play to win no matter what it's hard these guys are competitive guys you get them uh on a pool table, on a ping pong table. You get them playing cribbage. You get them playing poker. They want to win all the time. They're they running want to dudes score like that. Yeah. 
So, yeah. so whatever you think of, of of the last two games of the season, it's all about the individual and and ultimately just doing your job. Uh, it's Talbot tonight from Minnesota. Mark Andre Fleury starts the playoffs, right? Yeah, I think they've got a good thing going there. Uh, Talbot's gone in, you know, since moving on uh, and and doing a, a real good job there, and they're in good shape. Uh, I, I like their team a lot. When you when you think about the Western Conference right now, you put Colorado, uh, Calgary, St. Louis with a strong push, and and still a lot of players that have won a Stanley Cup there. But Minnesota is the one team for me that uh, could be very dangerous and and blink of an eye they could be in a conference final but Marc-Andre Fleury has proven yet again Vegas made a horrific decision and look where they are and look how good Minnesota feels going into game one uh, listen the uh, the reports on UC Soros are conflicting at best we're seeing four to six weeks somewhere we're hearing encouraging signs about him being ready for game one of the postseason um, if in fact Soros is hurt is that the is that the matchup Calgary wants uh, <laughs> it helps yeah no question it helps uh, Soros has done an amazing job as well uh, a lot of teams with question marks. They didn't come into game one with as many as other clubs. Uh, but this guy's a heart and soul guy. They believe in him. Uh, it, it would be it, it would be tough, I think, for Nashville to go into the the series uh, against Calgary and and not have him. We know who the Oilers are playing, uh, and it is the Los Angeles Kings, and they will have home ice advantage. Um, remember when the Oilers were in trouble and the sky was falling, Nick? Like, what, yeah. what's been the biggest difference over the last little while where it seems like there's a lot of confidence heading into the postseason with this team? Jay Woodcroft. No question that he came in and he found a way to uh, include a lot more guys, put more responsibility on third and fourth liners, uh, get the focus on we're a, a two-player team. Uh, I think he's done a, a, an unbelievable job. You know what's crazy in all of this is uh, he's got no contract at, at the end of the year. I had, I've had i had two different hockey clubs ask me, what's going on with Jay Whitcroft? Uh, because his contract's up. Are you hearing anything? And I'm like, if you're Edmonton right now, and why would you let it go this far? Why would you let potentially four, five, six teams in the summer take a run at this guy. Uh, he's got no contract. And there's a lot of different stories out there that they, they've talked or there's a deal that's already done. Uh-uh, not from what I hear. They have not even approached him at all about next year. I think that's a bit of a mistake. Uh, I, w I was hearing the same things. And when I saw the 29-3 and. Our uh, 24, 9, and 3 number, I think Jay's made himself a couple dollars over the last little while. Well, and Jay's not exactly uh, a rookie here coming in no, and he's... not much known about it. The, guy, the guy's been behind a bench for a 1,000 games. Uh, certainly, it'll be interesting to watch him go against Todd in, in L.A., who he spent so much time with. But he's won a Stanley Cup. Uh, he's been around. Like I said, if, if Edmonton doesn't look after him, I think there'll be a, a, a lineup. And depending on how many disappointments there are in the first round, who knows 
what team's looking for a coach next year? Right. I'd have him right at the top of my list. Uh, knowing uh, from past press conferences, Woodcroft's point to Dave Manson as well, and they came up together from Bakersfield. Uh, did you know Dave Manson much when you played in the league against Dave Manson? Yeah, just that he scared the heebie-jeebies out of me. <laughs> yeah. Right? You might be able um, to do it on the bench, too. There's, there's, there, I was dumb enough to drop my gloves with a lot of guys, but this guy had uh, the compete level of uh, a Mike Tyson in the first two <laughs> or three years of his career. Um, but, I, again, the, both those guys have done a terrific job. He's solidified the blue line. I know they, may, they added a few uh, pieces uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, but they've really come in. They've solidified their goaltending. Who knows what happens after game one puck drop right. with their goalie situation. But clearly not the question marks that we had uh, seven, eight weeks ago. No, the sky was falling in Edmonton, and now they're walking into the playoffs with a little bit of swagger. Uh, true friends of the show, stick around for last call. Nikki, can you stick around for last call? Uh, love you know me. Oh, you got the little booter right in for last call on the extended right. version of Tim and Friends. We'll take this last break and return for a true last call next on Tim and Friends. As you can tell, uh, Kipper was regular for last call. It's Tim McAuliffe, it's Nick Kiprios, and we hand the reins of yeah. last call to our DJ, Jesse Rubinoff. Chicken, chicken. <laughs> You called it true last call today. Uh, the Blue Jays open a weekend series with the Astros tomorrow. And the series opener is also Bo Flow Bobblehead Giveaway Night. Oh, nice. The first 15,000 fans will receive a Bo Bichette bobblehead featuring his flowing locks. And the team posted this video to promote the giveaway. <laughs> That's Bo. How does he play with this? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and he go, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Bo. How do you do that? It's a lot of hit. <laughs> wow. He was in the front a lot. You just go. Like, when he hits a home run, and this is like, when he gets the second, like just. <laughs> I got hair in my face. <laughs> Tappy has got that hair. What are we doing here? Great. Whoa. First of all, well done uh, by the Blue Jays. Mm -hmm. uh, they like to have fun. Yeah, they, like they, they do. Yeah. Uh, Tim, as a bald man on TV, did you ever consider oh, wearing a work. toupee? Wearing a toupee. Uh, one, one April Fool's, uh, Nick, on the Score Television Network, I wore a toupee for an hour-long show and didn't reference it at all. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> I just I put the toupee on and acted like I... Yeah, there's a couple times actually where you get hot up top, like wearing that thing. There's a couple. Yeah. 
Like was it sweat like, wearing that thing? Was it a, a good one or was it? No, like the a, one the one I wore in the score was <laughs> was real deal. Like it looked like I was trying to pull it off. Not like that one. Uh, okay. Not all of us can be Jesse Rubinoff and Nick Kiprios, eh? Like what are, what are we doing or here? Both. Or both. <laughs> you know, or, or both. Or both. Hey, great Nick, are you getting early Andre Agassi vibes from Bo Bichette? You think, what, like he's going to lose it soon? <laughs> no, no, I just, I just mean like the long hair, the headbands, the fluorescent stuff. Yes. Like every time I see him, I see early Andre Agassi, not yeah. this Andre Agassi. Yeah, and then you know what happened to his hair, right? <laughs> yeah, he actually wore the toupees for real wow. in tournaments. Yeah, that Bo, is how Bo, I remember Andre. Bo needs you. to start catching up to the high fastball or else he's going <laughs> to... Oh, shots. Kipper coming in with the <laughs> With the fire. Very good. Uh, speaking of men that should probably go uh, Agassi, Tiger Woods was in Tulsa, Oklahoma today to play a practice round at Southern Hills, site of next month's PGA Championship. The Tiger won the event the last time it was played at Southern Hills in 2007. So, Kipper, do you think he'll ever win another major? I would never bet against him, ever. And I don't know, maybe uh, at the Masters, just that that glimmer of I can still hit, I can still uh, move around. Maybe he's just got to condition his body uh, a, a lot longer to deal with the the restrictions that he has to deal with. But who in the right mind would ever bet against him? We weren't even expecting him to see uh, see him at all, let alone what he's been able to do up until this point. Uh, Sid Sixero once bet against him with me. Uh, and lost that. <laughs> and, lost, yeah. and lost that. You know, That's I would who we bet be, against yeah. him. I would not be betting against <laughs> no. him. Uh, Kipper, uh, rumor has it around town that uh, you were actually out on the golf course today. Is that uh, a fact? Yes. So what once did again, you, oh, did you look at this. Once again, uh, thanks to the Blue Jays afternoon game. Of course, the Raptors getting ready for game six. Nice. Uh, the crew of real Kipper and Bourne, Justin Bourne, Sammy McKee. We invited we invited uh, Brent Gunning as well, nice. and a uh, couple of little Buddhas, a cigar, <laughs> and a horrible front nine for uh, for all of us except uh, uh, JB. JB, I think shot a 77, and I snuck in uh, under. Uh, I, I shot a 79. Oh, nice. And, Still got and it. Couple of shooters. Our, yeah. Our our producer Sam McKee, he shot he shot a he shot like. 63 in the front nine, and then he parred the back nine. He what? parred the back nine? Really? <laughs> well, maybe not 63, but it felt like a 63. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that guy hosts a golf show. Like, that guy should yeah. be able to play a little bit. Not he settled the front down. Nine. Yeah, he settled down. Those are some scores. I understand that game. Wow. Very impressive. Uh, okay, Canadian strongwoman Samantha Beliveau set a new world record today. The 29-year-old from New Brunswick lifted a 183.4-pound dumbbell over her head with one arm. Making it even more impressive, Beliveau was competing in the middleweight division. <laughs> her lift smashed the previous middleweight record of 165 pounds wow. and also broke the open record of 180 pounds. Tim, do you think you could lift me over your head with one arm? Are you 180 pounds? Sadly, yeah, I am. <laughs> There's no bleeping chance in the world. Like, the, the one arm is, like, that's crazy strength, eh, Nick? 
without a doubt. I'd, I'd have a better chance of kicking you, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, That's Kipper, awesome. come on. They're shooting 79s on the golf course. Have a little got it. Yeah, you can join I believe in you. Viewers in the uh, Calgary region can see the Flames visit the Wild in just a few minutes on Sportsnet West. Rick Ball, Kelly Rudy, and Ryan Leslie will have the call for you. We know Rick is a talented broadcaster, but did you know he could play the piano? Yeah, Ryan Leslie posted this video from the hotel in Minnesota earlier today. Check it out. was a ridiculous rendition. Oh, it was very good. I'm jealous. Expert. Uh, Don't you remember when Ryan Leslie did the Saturday? I, listen, I watch Calgary Flames hockey. He did a Saturday Night Live intro going into the Calgary right. Flames, and he said, and musical guest, Rick Ball. That now we know why. Very impressive. Now we know why. You play the organ. Yeah. Um, All those lessons paid off for this <laughs> yeah, moment right here. Mom and dad. Do you, do you have a hidden talent, Kipper, that we should know about? Maybe like Rick Ball. I guess Rick uh, Ball isn't uh, very hidden anymore. But do you have one? Uh, once I, like like my uh, grade three teacher said, once I um, uh, apply myself, uh, <laughs> I, I love to cook. I love to be in the oh, kitchen. Nice. What's what's the one dish where like Kipper of the family goes? Oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh, I got a, a shrimp feta uh, over pasta. That's oh. really nice. All right, so little Buddhas and a little uh, fettuccine with shrimp over at yeah, uh, Kipper's house shrimp. one day. Feta, I'd, feta I'd cheese, yeah. Oh, oh, feta cheese. Feta. Yeah, oh, I feta thought you meant fettuccine. No, with feta. Shrimp. A little feta. Oh, the Greek. Ah, yeah, I got yeah. you. Oh, I got you. All right. <laughs> oh, uh, Kipper, I always love when you stop by, and even better when you stay for last call. Thanks for doing this. As always, it's great having you. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, there is Nick Kiprios. That's Jesse Rubinoff. I'm Tim McCall. That's it for us. Flames and Wild and Mirror Moments on Sportsnet West. Hockey Central coming up at 8.30 Eastern. Everywhere else, NBA doubleheader on the way on Sportsnet 360. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, we'll get you again tomorrow, Friday, as we work you into the weekend. Enjoy the hockey and basketball tonight, and we will talk to you again tomorrow on Tim and Friends.